can be seated. So we are, are continuing our series in the book of Philippians, uh, Philippians uh, chapter 4, where we're talking about the concept of joy and what it means to have uh, the joy that I believe God has uh, for all of us in all of our lives. And the passage we're going to look at today, I think, is one that's a lot uh, taken out of context. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, if you go to uh, that slide for me, Robbie. Uh, I can do all this um, through him who, who gives me strength. And this is a passage I think I first came across that I was a really big baseball fan. I'm still a baseball fan, but I was a really big baseball fan as a kid, and I would write to baseball players and ask them for their autographs. And this one guy sent back his autograph, and he wrote next to it, Philippians 4.13. And I was like, oh, I should go check that out. And so I went and looked it up, and it was this passage. And I thought, sweet, that means I could be a baseball player someday. Like, I'm, I'm kind of on, on my way uh, to doing this. And it's a passage that easily can be taken out of context, that it's just about that, you know, anything that you want to do, you can accomplish because of Christ that gives you strength. There's a great um, the Christian satire website called the Babylon Bee, and uh, if you ever, you should check that website out if you haven't before, but the Babylon Bee about this passage had, had this uh, to, to say that they actually studied the context of the passage. If you go, Robbie, to the next slide for me. It should be up there. Yeah. Um, context. Paul wrote Philippians 4.13 after narrow, narrowly winning church softball game. Um, and I, I think we can, like, just make it about whatever it is that we want it to be, that it's just about this, this thing or, or um, that, or it's just about God giving you strength to win in whatever sort of event that you um, had. But in reality, Paul is, as we've talked about over and over and over again, he's writing from prison, and he's writing to likely a house church of people, and he says, like, there's a certain sort of joy that you're supposed to have. And he reveals, I think, a little bit of the source of his joy and the way that he's able to continue to live in joy in the passage that we're looking at this morning is you get a little bit more context besides that verse. So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13 says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, that changes the context of the passage a little bit, right? That it's not just Paul saying, like, you know, go and conquer anything or do whatever it is that you want to do. But he says, like, it's in the context of contentment, which he says is the secret to life. And he uses a word that's, that's fascinating um, there. It's, the, the Greek word is memenomai. Um, say that with me, memenomai. There it is. So you now know a Greek word. Congratulations, at least for a little while. Um, and this word would have been used in the, like, the different temple cults during that time. And the, it's a way that people would have like, tried to attract. And still today, I would argue that a lot of religious organizations will say, like, you know, we'll give you the secrets to life if you only come to this meeting. And then like, you kind of get one secret, then you get another secret. Um, and it's easy to like, think in that mindset when it comes to like, religious acts. And so for him to use this word, this is the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament the people who would have heard it for the first time, they would have perked up a little bit and said, whoa, he's going to tell us the secret. Like, that's cool. Like, this is, this is important. He's going to tell us the secret's life. People would have, like, started to listen in, and they would have wondered, okay, what does, what does Paul say 
that the secret is? Because this is a word that other people use at other times. What does it mean for him to say that he knows the secret? And the secret to life, I think, is, is still somewhat interesting to us. My friend recently moved to Arkansas, and he sent me this picture from the Arkansas Post-Gazette Classifieds, which I'm sure is a very interesting place to go. And uh, this, if you can't read it, it says, book that I wrote called My Life and Thoughts. Very interesting, $15. And uh, there's the phone number there if you guys want to write that down. Uh, to like, I mean, in some ways, you're a little interested, right? I mean, he says it's very interesting. Maybe he's figured something out. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just like, I kind of want to know, like, what, what is the secret? What does that guy maybe know? Maybe I can get him down to $7 or something like that to get, to get his book. One of the largest sections in any bookstore, although there's not a whole lot of bookstores left, but if you go to a bookstore, is um, the self-help section. And in the self-help section, there's all these different titles and these different things that talk about, like, this is what it means to live a good life. There's a book called My Boyfriend Barfed in My Handbag. And uh, in that book, this girl has this realization that her life is, like, really going a bad way when her boyfriend barfs in her handbag. And she's like, I need to make some changes here. And so she realizes that she needs to, like, create some order and some structure and to do things a little bit differently so that doesn't happen again. Um, And so she talks about the importance of making lists and doing all this stuff to, like, make sure that your life is in order. And there's another book called The Surrender Experiment, which is written by a former CEO who just walked away from everything. And he said the real key to life is just surrendering it all. Just not really caring as much about the outcome. That yes, I once had this great title, but I realized that like walking away and like living off the land, which luckily he had the money to do, but I can like just walk away from it all. So you walk through a section like that and you go like, well, what is the secret? Do I make a list or do I quit everything? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to, like, write everything down so a boyfriend doesn't barf in my handbag again? Or am I just supposed to just go camp somewhere and live like a hippie? What is the secret? And that's when Paul gives us an answer that, if we're honest, isn't really that satisfying. The secret to it all is contentment. That you would have a heart and a spirit that is content. That whether things are going bad for you, whether things are are going well, that you would be able to have a spirit of, of peace in the midst of everything else that is happening in your life. Paul says, I have learned the secret to life, and it is contentment. There's so much that goes on around us, I think, that we don't even recognize that is available to us and, and beautiful. How many of you watched the sunrise this morning? We have three. I didn't watch it either. I was sleeping. But there's this beautiful thing that happens every single morning. And if you get a view of it every single evening, G.K. Chesterton says this this way, there's no way in which a man can earn a star or deserve a sunset. There are things that are happening all around us at a given time that we're not even recognizing or paying attention to. 
that might help us to like, get a little bit more content and not just be so focused on everything that is going on. It just fascinates me that, that Paul writes about this. Again, as he is in prison, and there's parts of the letter that make you think he realizes that his life is on the line, that he probably isn't going to make it. But Paul writes about contentment in that situation. What would it look like for you to be more content? Could you write that line, I can do all this stuff through Christ who gives me strength while you were in prison? Could you say, like, oh, I've learned the secret to life, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry? Could you have that approach? It's remarkable that Paul writes this. I think one of the reasons why this is hard for us is that we don't seek our contentment from the right sources. We go to other places, we go to other things, and one of the things that's great about the, I love living in the United States of America, being in a a capitalistic society, but it also creates competition everywhere. And so instead of, I think, going to God for the source of our approval and the understanding of who we are and who, that we are loved by God, we go to other sources and to other places. And we're constantly comparing ourselves and looking to the right and to the left to get our strength and our comfort and our love. A few years ago, I've, I've told this story before, but a few years ago, I was at a nursing home visiting uh, one of, a member of our congregation, and um, the nurse stopped me, and uh, she said, do I know you from somewhere? And I said, uh, I don't think so. And she said, no, 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 I know you from somewhere. And I said, no, I really don't think so. I don't think I've seen you before. And she's like, no, 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 I, no, I know what it is. Uh, you're on TV. And I said, I was on a TV show a long time ago, a math TV show. That's another story for another time. Um, But no. And she's like, no, 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 no. I know who you are. You're Nick from New Girl. And here's Nick from New Girl. You can be the judge of that. It was a few years ago. I was a little handsomer then. Like, those of you who are laughing the hardest, I'm maddest at you. Because he's a pretty good, he's a, he's a, pretty, pretty good-looking guy, um, and I, 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 I told her, I said, I have to assure you I'm not Nick from New Girl, and then I winked at her in the elevator closed. No, I'm kidding. I didn't, I didn't actually, <coughs> I didn't actually do that, but it was interesting. She, she told me that, which I mean, I guess is kind of a compliment, because he's like kind of a big deal, and I think a little bit better looking than me, but as then, I, I didn't even know who he was, and I looked him up and on my phone, and I was like, wow, he, he's, I guess that's a compliment, but then I just started comparing myself. I'm like, well, I don't know. Do I have the, the same, like, manly attractiveness as him? I'm not, I'm, I'm not um, really sure. And it's just so interesting, I think, how so much of life, in all of our conversations, it can be about comparison, about comparing yourself to other people and how they look, or comparing, like, the car that you drive. Or, and it's not only that it's, like, keeping up with the Joneses anymore. It's not just your neighbor's. Because with social media, you're keeping up with everybody you've ever known. Like forever. And so you're always looking to the right and to the left. And thinking, how did he get that? How did she afford that? How does that person, you can take down Nick now. It's all right, he's kind of creeping me out a little too much. (laughs) The problem is we can end up looking to the right and, and to the left to, to get our, our source of comfort and love. And the issue with that is it just is, is so volatile, right? And for a while, you can maybe feel a little bit good. But then often, it can go the other way as well. 
Andy Stanley, the famous preacher, he says that we can often live in the land of Ur. He describes it like this. He says that the, Rob, if you give me the slide, we want to be richer, smarter, skinnier, cooler, and it's not that I want you to have a bad life. I'm fine with you having talent or money or being handsome or pretty. I just want to have a little bit more than you. I want you to have smart, kind, funny kids. I just want my kids to have a little bit more er than your kids. And if you don't believe this about yourself, then check this out. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when someone's got a little bit more than you, someone who's got a better job or a better marriage or a bigger house, have you ever noticed that when something bad happens to those people, and often they're people you know and maybe even care about, that's when something, when something bad happens to them, you feel good. No one in here would ever have that happen. And you know it's wrong and sick, and you never admit it to anyone that you'd feel that way, but you do. Nobody ever confesses this because there's something about that sin that has to stay secret. Because if you admit envy, you've admitted you've got someone, that someone's got more err than you. We can easily, I think, live in this mindset where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And oftentimes, we're comparing ourselves to other people's highlight reels, if we're honest. But it's easy for us to live in this land of Ur, where we're looking to the right and to the left, thinking about how other kids are so well-behaved and our kids don't happen to be, or things just seem to be going so well for that person, it doesn't really seem to be breaking right for me. And the problem is, this mindset is dangerous because there's just no win in comparison. Because if you do end up comparing yourself favorably to somebody, then there's always somebody else who you can compare yourself to. And that doesn't mean that you don't work hard. Work hard. Like, try to advance in life and try to, like, take steps and do things so you can advance and and live, like, a good life. Use the talents that you have. But at the end of the day, you don't do it for the applause of other people. You do it for God. You're living for a higher standard and not just looking to other people to try and get your source of strength and comfort. One of my friends in ministry says that every single day he tries to say to himself, I can't believe I get to live this life. He tries to start every single morning by just saying, I can't believe that I get to live this life. And it's not because his life is perfect. He has things that he would like to work on himself. His family isn't perfect. But he starts every day by saying that. It gives him, instead of this perspective of like, well, how's everybody going to be feeling about me today? How am I looking in the eyes of like everybody that I've ever known? Instead of going to that for his sense of comfort and contentment, he instead just says, I can't believe that God has blessed me with today. I can't believe that I get to live this life. And the reason why this is so important for all of us is we can't just continue to, like, put the line further and further out. There's a doctor named Dr. William Gull who, in 1866, um, was studying a woman with a mysterious disease that no one had ever, like, been able to understand. And so for about a year and a half, he observed this woman, and in 1866, he concluded this study, and Dr. William Gull named this disease anorexia nervosa. You probably know somebody who still is unfortunately affected with that, and if you are struggling with some of those issues, please talk to somebody about it. I'd be able to connect you with someone who, who could help you. But 
this disease was affecting a lot of women during that time because back in that day, you used to wear a corset, which I don't know much about corsets except that they're very tight. And so you would strap it as tight as you possibly could to make your form look as good as you possibly could make it. And women were struggling because that's not necessarily the best way to live. Unfortunately, I think we still live with body image issues and things that go on today as well. He called this this disease, and he was able to help this woman through years of therapy. And if you've ever seen someone who has struggled with that, you know how how hard it is because you just want to say to them, like, just look them in the eye and say, like, you're beautiful as you are. Like, you're, you're beautiful as you are. You don't need to change anything. You don't need to do anything. You're, you're loved, and you just want to say that to him. But it takes, like, sometimes years of therapy to work through something like that. And the, the saddest thing of it all is oftentimes people who are struggling with eating disorders, they're, they're good at losing weight. They, they lose weight to an unbelievable degree. But the issue is it's first, so I need to lose 15 pounds, and then it's I need to lose another 10, and then I need to lose another. And it's just this endless cycle. I would argue... When it comes to our life, it's like we all have that same sort of disorder. Where we just have this line that keeps getting pushed further and further out. I'm going to be happy once this happens. And then that happens. And then you've got to get another line. Oh, well, if, well, I know I said this before, God, but if you give me this, then I'm going to be like, content and everything's going to go well. And then it's like, well, let me, actually, I need one more thing. And the line just keeps getting further and further out. Have you ever asked yourself, like, what's enough? Because our enough just keeps getting, like, pushed further and further out. And we end up living in this cycle where it's like, well, I'm going to be happy if this arrives. I'm going to figure this out once it happens. And then I'm going to get enough. And we confuse wants and needs. We buy things that we already have, and we continue to think that it's going to satisfy us. G.K. Chesterton said this also. He said there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. What if you could be somebody that desired less? Paul says this is the secret to life. And again, he uses a word that they would have commonly associated with like other cults and religious organizations, and they would have like used that as a buzzword. And he said, I know what the actual secret is. It's contentment. It's having a spirit about you that is content, not just waiting for like the next thing or hoping that things are going to get better, but having the ability to look around at what you have and say, I appreciate this so much. And it's not perfect, but I'm thankful that I have it. Paul says this is the secret to life. And again, he's writing this from prison. A few years ago, a friend of mine, actually it was about a year ago, um, because we had a second kid, my, my friend said, wow, you're living the dream. You have a beautiful wife and two kids. And I was like, wow, I mean, this person w- was, was single. Um, and I was like, yeah, I guess so. Um, and since then, I've really just tried to think like I am. 
Like, it's not perfect, but in a lot of ways, I am. And I would argue that you are too. But again, your life isn't perfect. Maybe you're single and you want to get married someday. Maybe you're married and you want to have kids someday. Maybe that's not important to you at all. But the issue is not about this line that you want to someday get to. The issue in all of us is being content with what you have. Understanding that, yes, maybe those are some things that you want to have happen someday. Maybe you want to get a promotion so so you work hard. But that's not going to be the thing that you say, okay, that is going to be how I identify myself. Because in reality, we're all living the dream. We live like kings and queens would have died to live like a hundred years ago. They would have walked into your apartment and said, you can control the air. And you can just like zoom around town. You can go to the beach in an hour depending on traffic. <laughs> you get to the mountains in an hour and a half. You have no idea how good you have it. For lunch today, you could go to get some of the best food in the entire world within 20 minutes. You want Mexican food? There's great Mexican food. You want Thai food? There's great Thai food. All like the world's best foods. If you want some food recommendations, I'll let you have some. There's some great food within just a few minutes of where we currently are right now. And if your life isn't, like, if you're in a dark time and you want to kind of figure something else out, that's great, too. You have the ability to, like, go um, online at night to get a new degree in some other profession that you just want to switch up to. You really are living the dream. And there's so much that is available to you and so much that's possible. But the issue is, If you don't find out how to be content now, how are you ever going to be content then? If you can't find the goodness in what you have now and be thankful for it and appreciate it and let those parts of your life know that you appreciate them, then how are you ever going to be content then? I hope that this week you would just say to yourself, I can't believe that I get to live this life. Because I'm really living the dream. Because Paul writes to a house church of people under the oppression of the Roman government. And he says to them, what we read earlier, I'll go ahead and read it for us one more time. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Let's, let's read just that slide together. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. May we recognize the goodness that is more available to us and more around us than we might often give it credit for. We're going to close with a song that has the, the recurring chorus um, about the goodness of God, for God is good to us. May we find ways this week to not just think about the things that maybe are imperfect or the ways that our own lives are broken, but may we find ways to be deeply content. Because in reality, we're all living the dream. We live in one of the best cities in the world at an amazing time. May we recognize that God doesn't call us to constantly just set the line further and further out, but to recognize the goodness that we have that is available to us right now. And Paul says that, my friends, is the secret. Let's stand and worship together.